Welcome to the Springs Church Podcast, where we explore the teachings of Jesus Christ and how they can be applied to our daily lives. Join us as we delve into the Bible and discuss topics such as faith, hope, love, and forgiveness. Our mission is to inspire and empower our listeners to live a life of purpose and meaning and to deepen their relationship with God. Tune in every week for a new episode as we learn how Holy Spirit, the Bible, and a relationship with Jesus will impact every area of your life. My title is called The Illusion of Independence. The Illusion of Independence. You know, the enemy, if, if, if the... I almost went in a whole other direction. It's good I'm sitting down. The enemy, if he can, will try to make you think you're skilled enough, you're wealthy enough, smart enough, you have all the acumen you need and no one knows. And if they only knew how good, how sharp, how good looking I am and blah, 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 blah. If they only knew how good I was. And if you go down the road of self, I'll call it, you will begin to lead and live a life where you are conveniently putting God in the little moments you have. And you won't be living a life led by Holy Spirit. And so the first verse I want to read on, I was doing a a, a video this last week and, and Holy Spirit just dropped this verse on me while I was doing that. And it's Galatians 5, verse 16 to 18 from the ESV. If you want to follow along, go ahead and throw it up. And this is such a cool thought, but this is definitely, it just hit home. And it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Isn't that interesting? So you have these two forces, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh for some reason just seems to want to do these things. And and, and when I look at it biblically, why we do these things and why is it that we have these desires and why is it that they seem to run rampant? And, and the really, really fast answer on that is that we live in a fallen world and we inherited what's called original sin. And so your flesh, through, through being trained through your life to, to uh, maybe a better way to put it is this. We like good things, but we like good things too much. And what I mean by that is the enemy will take something that you like in your life and pervert it and turn it into an idol in your life. And and something as simple as an iPhone or social media will become something that you search for, look at, can't get enough of, always looking to. It is dominating your life. It dominates your attention and it's essentially idolized in your life. So something that was meant for good, it's a great tool. It doesn't have a moral stance, good or bad, but you like it so much that it turns into an idol in your life. You look at any sin, the enemy takes anything that's good and he perverts and twists and perverts and twists and makes it so that it is a good thing that's been twisted. And so we have these, these desires that we like that are designed by God that's been twisted and, and that's what the Bible is calling the flesh here. And it says that the, the, the flesh will oppose the spirit. Um, and as I continue on, it says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. The law, really quickly, and I don't want to spend too much time here, is essentially Old Testament. It was essentially just the rules on how to be as best you can, how to live. But the intention behind the law was to actually make it so unattainable. When you go into the details of what the law is and how it defines sin, it essentially is so unattainable that it says that if you know to do good and don't, that you've sinned. All of that, that's all of us today. I need water, and no one brought me water except for Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. She got me water. 
If you know to do good and you don't, you, the Bible says that that's sin. So law is this mark, this bar that's so high, so hard to attain, that essentially the only logical response is to look to Jesus. And the word of God, and we're going to walk this out, but there's a few things that I want to walk through first about sin and understanding sin. Because all the time you'll hear from a pulpit where people say, well, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. Well, it's saved from what? If I say to my wife, you're, you're saved, I saved you. From what? A car that was going to hit you or from this or this or this? Like your first response should be, what am I saved from? So in order to walk that out, I want to talk about sin a bit, where it comes from. Does God bring sin upon you? Is he testing you or tempting you? And we'll walk through a few of these verses. The next verse is Romans 3, verse 23. And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason I threw this one in there is because for those who think they're righteous on their own accord, who think they can be good enough. It's for all, not some, not the weak. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one human on this planet except for Jesus when he lived. Jesus is the only one who lived the perfect life. And I'll talk about why that's significant in a bit. James 1, 13 to 15. Now this is, that first one is who. Who have sinned? All have sinned. Second is what and where. James 1, 13 to 15, and it says, let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by whose desires are own, his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is just a clarity of where sin comes from. God is not bringing sin upon your life. He is not tempting you. In fact, he's not capable because it breaks his word. He is not here tempting you. Now, I think a lot of pastors get testing wrong. And testing, they, testing is almost preached, and I don't want to go this far. But they often think it's like almost like a, they pervert it. They make it wrong. Like, for example, the other day, my son, he's got this little dirt bike and I, I, it's slightly too heavy for him to hold. And I was just trying to get him to, I was trying to load it off my truck. We had to go get it repaired because he crashed into a tree. Don't buy your son a dirt bike. But so the bike was, anyway. So the, I'm getting him to hold it. And I, I knew it was slightly too heavy for him. But I was going, Ellis, grab the bike, grab the bike. And he's like, okay, dad, okay. And it's, I'm trying to pull it off the thing. I'm like, grab it. And he's like, oh, and he's like really, really struggling. And, um, and he did it. And so, I easily could have said, get off the truck, I'll do it. <laughs> Just throw it off. I want him to go through those types of little bit of, of moments that make him stronger. And, un, and he also has a moment of like, I did it. And now what a lot of people say is they think that that's disease, sickness, sin. They think that that's what God's doing. No. What, you, you'll go through moments in your life that's actually the call of God on your life. Like, let's say it's a promotion in your job or a place where you need to go or something you need to do, and it's scary, and you're worried, and you don't know how because you're afraid. God could easily come in there and save the day and put someone else in there. There's no problem. That, that, would be, that would be you missing your call for your life, though. Do you see what I'm saying? You're sitting there holding the bike and going, I don't know if I can do this, if I can make it. And he goes, yeah, you can, you can. Come on, you can do it. It's tough, but you're fine. And so it's this ability to, to where God is actually this loving father who knows it's, it's, he's not hurting you. He's not tempting you with sin. He's not putting you in a position of weakness that's going to make you fail and you learn. Oh, you learn. And a lot of people teach that, and it's pretty sick. They need to get a different Bible, and they're not reading the right one. Um, so that is the who, what, where, when about sin. Now, when pastors preach on sin, 
the part that they almost always seem to forget, and this is what's been ingrained, and especially when I look at the generation before us and before them and before them, it was very much fire and brimstone. God, God is going to get you. Man, if you screw up, he's coming after you. But the thing is, is they've missed so much part of what grace is. There's two parts of grace, and we're going to unpack that a bit, but there's a verse here that I don't want to miss before we get there. Because we've just talked about the, the hard part, sin. Sin is brutal. Sin has a weight. In fact, I get criticized almost all the time. I got a note the other day, someone critiquing my preaching, which I, I, <laughs> I almost see those as like badges of honor. Like, you, anyway, we're going to stop there. Um, and they essentially said, you don't preach on the weight of sin enough and you don't talk about it enough and, you, and you, all you do is preach on grace. And, and when I read that, I went, thank you. That's, so, like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to preach on grace because trust me, the enemy's doing a real good job at making you condemned on your own self, that making you feel so dirty, rotten, and that when you do something wrong, you just stay away from God. You stay away from church. Stay away from the people you know you probably shouldn't stay away from. So I don't need to remind people of that. I need to teach people about the goodness of God. Romans 2.4 literally says that. The goodness of God brings a man to repentance. And so we need to talk about how good God is. And, and, and a lot of people conflate these two words. They think Holy Spirit's role, just as I talked about in Galatians. Galatians talks about a life that you are led by the Spirit. I think the title even says to keep in step with the Spirit, as, as we started the whole message from. Keep in step with the Spirit. But a lot of people think Holy Spirit's job is to, is to condemn you, is to just beat you up. And, and, and I want to help bring clarity to that. Because the, the Bible says he's there to convict you to bring conviction. And, and the difference between conviction and condemnation is two things. And I'll explain a quick visual for you. Imagine, okay, th th there was a point where I was teaching my daughter Sloan to ride a bike. And I'm going to paint a false scenario for the record that this is not how I treated my child. But this is how we think God is treating us. So imagine you are on the bicycle of life and you are trying your best. And, and so God is behind you just as I'm behind my daughter. And I'm going to go, okay, these are what you need to know, Sloan. You need to know how to pedal. You got to balance yourself. When you fall one side, you turn the bike that way and you just get your balance underneath you and you go. So I've given her the instructions. I've set her up. I've taught her. She knows what to do. And now is the moment when I'm entrusting her of everything I've given her. And I push her on the bike going, go, Sloan, do what I told you to do. And she falls right over. This is what condemnation is. And this is what Holy Spirit, people think Holy Spirit's doing. Sloan, you suck. Why didn't you get up and do what I told you to do? You should have pedaled. You should have gotten like... We think Holy Spirit's just nailing people for that. Now, do you think she's going to get up and go, Woo, I can't wait to try again. Wow, give me my bike. I'm going to go again. There's no way. She just feels so beat up. And why would she want to be in a relationship with me who's beating her up like that? Now, am I right? I told her what to do. Yeah, I told her what to do. Am I right in the way I approached her? Probably not. But they think that's what Holy Spirit's doing. This is the second version, conviction. Conviction is tied to hope. Where there's conviction, there should be hope. So in scenario number two, my daughter's on the bike. I've told her what to do. She's got the instructions. I give her the push. Come on, Sloan, you can do it. She goes and she falls. Conviction says, Sloan, come on. You can, that's not you. You can try better than that. I've seen you go before. Man, I've seen you try a lot harder than that. You can do better. I'm hopefully attaching her identity to the picture she is. And that's what Holy Spirit's doing. If you slip up in a position in your life, Holy Spirit's not there to slap you and beat you up. He wants you to go, come on, that's not you. You can do better. God, do you know how much God's got a plan for you? What he's looking to do through you? And, and, and so the condemnation and conviction, that needs to be crystal clear in your life. If there are thoughts of condemnation in your life, it is not from God. It's also not from you. 
And, and the enemy's gonna try to use your own thoughts and put it in first person. Oh, I'm always like this. I'm an idiot. And, and because you heard it that way in your brain, I am an idiot. You think it's you saying it. No, the enemy will work through your thoughts and your thinking and your mind and just try to just chip away at your life that way. So those are the differences of condemnation and conviction. Conviction's a beautiful thing. I want conviction from my relationships. I want my wife to bring a healthy level of conviction in my life. I want her to push me to be a better husband. Hey, when you did that, that wasn't you. That wasn't the man I know. It's a beautiful iron, sharpening iron moment in your life. And so just as I said, Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God brings a man to repentance. This beautiful verse, the next verse, Romans 5, 18, is, oh man, it's good. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespasses, this is the good news part, as one trespasses led to, con- Ugh. as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's all of us. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many were made righteous, which means right standing with God. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, meaning to just increase the fact that you can't hit the mark, law. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Meaning doesn't matter whatever level of sin is, grace is above it, grace is above it, grace is above it. Whatever level of sin, grace is above it all the time, always. You can never sin your way away from God, never. It's, it's a crazy wild thought. And the, I know, I, I think the same thoughts. You're going, okay, but that's not why you get saved. No, it's not why. But to think that you're gonna to try to become self-righteous, which means righteous by your own doing, means you've disqualified what Jesus has done. And you think your actions are more important than what Jesus did. So you can't sin your way out of his good standing with him. And I wanna bring some clarity to the level of grace that Jesus brings. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful part here. I'm gonna to jump to, oh, I'm gonna to jump to Titus 2, 11 and 12. And this is a bit of a different message because I just wanna show you these foundational blocks that we need to know. Titus 2, 11 to 12 verse on, in the ESV. It says, for the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires. Right there is exactly the response of grace. If you are truly in a God-led, Holy Spirit-led life, it will teach you to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires. So for, to the person who says, well, then we just have a license to sin. Well, no, if you're truly walking in grace, it will teach you to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires. And it goes on to say, and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. You know, there, there is such a beautiful thing when a person begins to live a life like that. I find you, there's two phases of grace. And for those who are taking notes, notes the first level of grace is, is just God's grace to wipe away your sin. God's undeserved grace to wipe away your sin. That's the first kind of grace. But you cannot get to the second level of grace until you get that. And, and the second level of grace is, is, is an interesting, fascinating thing that I find is just a, a perplexing thing that, that is just an amazing moment in someone's life that is, has anyone seen a person who just seems to be effortless? They just kind of go through life and they'll step up to every challenge and they're like, how is it that they're doing this? That's the second phase of grace that I'm gonna unpack in a second. Um, you know, one thing that I find is that 
along the lines about condemnation is that there, there was a moment in my two, three weeks ago with my daughter, I was putting her to bed and all of a sudden she looks at me randomly too. She's never done this before. And she randomly looks up at me and goes, dad, um, when I did that thing, like, am I, like, does God care about that? Like, is he still upset with you or not? And I went, what? I'm like, she also, she also knows the answer to this question. Like, trust me, she's being preached to every day. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, it was a very vulnerable, real moment with her. And so I sat down next to her and uh, I just told her, I said, sweetie, I said, no. I said, in fact, God, the Bible says that God doesn't even see anything you do wrong anymore, that it's gone. He does not see it. But after we talked through everything I talked through with her, I walked out of the room and I just went, man, my nine-year-old little girl is being condemned by her own conscience. Like it, it, it's, it's coming down on her and she feels guilty as a nine-year-old. Never mind us in whatever age you're at, whatever part in your life that you're at. So if you're not careful to, to coach yourself in the grace of God, the identity all over you, it will be so much worse for you than that. And so when you go to pray for someone, you don't even believe the words you're praying because you don't even take the identity of who you are. You're just, you're just blocking God's ability to work in your absolute life. I was um, in the airport last week and I had this interesting moment happen. I was walking past someone and, and right as I walked past this, this, this young mom and her daughter, um, I just walked past and she was about nine is what I thought the girl was. And so obviously my mind thought of Sloan and my daughter and kids and they're sitting on the ground next to these chargers and I have these vouchers in my phone that allow me access to these lounges that you, when you fly every once in a while, you get these access lounges. And so I walked all the way in, I'm standing at the thing to swipe into this like dream of a lounge where the food's unlimited and it's just this beautiful thing. Like it's, it's a great experience because flying sucks. I hate flying, but that part of it's great. Um, and so as I'm standing in there, I just felt so heavy in my heart to be like, who am I to get in here and them not? Like she deserves it all way more than me. So I walked back to her and I said, I said hey, I said, um, you could totally say no. I said, I've got these passes that would get you in there and there's food and a whole bunch of stuff in there if you want. Would you want to come in? And she literally was like, yes, absolutely. I was like, okay, great, sounds good. So we come, we go to the thing, I scan my pass and then I give the vouchers to her and then I kind of just parted ways. As I was sitting in the lounge across the whole lounge with, I was looking at her. I'm like, she's not getting any drinks, not getting any food. She's not taking any of the benefits of this place. Does she think she has to pay for it maybe? I was like, oh man. So I'm watching, I'm watching. I'm like, do I have to tell her? And she's still not doing anything. And I could see her, I could see her sitting there and she's literally watching people go and do this. And then she watches them eat and then watches them walk out. And then it clicked to her. She's like, it's free. I, I, I literally could see it. She's like, you don't have to pay. And then literally she sprung up out of her chair like this. And she's like, sweet, come on. And she starts scooping stuff up and getting pop. And the kid is excited and they're doing this. And they're just, they're just having a great time. And I went, good. Like, cause I was going to go over and be like, hey, like it's all included just so you know. And, and, and that's, that's like a Christian who's not walking in the benefits of grace. It's all included. You're in the accessible place where you can walk in the grace of God and you're not getting the free food buffet that's out for you. You've been given access into the lounge. It's all yours. Grab it. And, 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 and the thing that breaks my heart is that the enemy is taking the first part of my message, sin, and just allowing you to sit there and make you think you're dirty, rotten, and that God's not waiting to use you. But he, look at who he did use. Look at Paul, who used to be Saul, who used to murder Christians, and then he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Wrap your head around that one. Like, Really think about that. That's insane. When, when you look at Jesus' path to the cross, there's these moments that if you don't see it through the lens of grace, you're going to miss it. Look at the moment of Barabbas. 
how many know the moment, the, the story of Barabbas? Not many. Okay, that's all. Okay. <laughs> it's this crazy moment that they decided that they were going to put Jesus up to the cross and they decided that on this day they, they, they were going to release one of the criminals in exchange for Jesus. And so Barabbas wakes up. Think about him and, and imagine yourself in his shoes. You wake up in the morning and go, this is the day I'm dying. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. And so Barabbas wakes up just like, whatever. He goes to the courts and then all of a sudden as they're in the courts, the people are all there. They're all chanting. And then all of a sudden they start chanting, we want Barabbas. And they're chanting that they want freedom for Barabbas and in exchange for Jesus. And Pilate goes, what has this Jesus man done to you so bad that you want to give up this criminal and bring this man who's just said words? You're mad at the words he said and you want me to crucify him. And, and eventually it just keeps getting escalated, escalated, escalated. And because he's persuaded by the people, because that's how you get like favor, he decides, okay, let's go with what the people say. And he swaps Jesus for Barabbas. And there's this moment that Barabbas, and, and if you watch The Passion of the Christ, the movie, where Barabbas and Jesus lock eyes. And, and in that moment, Barabbas doesn't deserve to be set free. Jesus doesn't deserve to die. Barabbas is being set free. He's a killer, a murderer. He should be killed, like according to their law. Jesus, who hasn't done a thing, is being sent to the cross to be hung. It's this exchange that just doesn't make any sense. And when I realized it, I, maybe I'm not the most brightest bulb in the pack, but I realized I'm Barabbas. It's me. Jesus lived a flawless, perfect life and went to the cross and carried every sin and didn't do a thing wrong. And here I am living this flawed life, screwing up every day, all the time, just terrible from the light of a holy, righteous God. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he hands this exchange where Barabbas' undeserved freedom, gift to life. And then it doesn't stop there. If you miss that giant moment of grace, when Jesus is sitting on the cross and he goes, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a whole nother level of, of wild. But then he looks to the criminal next to him. And the criminal goes, who are you? And I'm giving you a super paraphrased version, but he essentially just goes like, they're just talking and he just realizes this is, how can you say, forgive them when they're killing you? And they've done this to you and you don't even deserve to be here, but I do, he says, the criminal. It's, and then the, the criminal goes, would you remember me when you go to your kingdom? And he goes, I'll remember your name. And that man made heaven right there because he believed on Jesus. He didn't deserve it. It's another moment of huge, unbelievable grace that is so impossible to wrap our brains around. And it's these clues, it's these hints that God's saying, this is you. I'm this perfect lamb, this perfect sinless lamb paying the price for you, wiping out your sin. And he, 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 and he just doesn't want you to stop there. He wants you that now you've made access into the lounge, he wants you to reap the benefits of the lounge. And, and, and that benefits is this second part of grace that I want to talk about. And it's 1 Peter 5, verse 5. For those of you who aren't paying attention, pay attention right now. This is the moment that I want you to hear. This is a verse that scares me. It scares me. And I'll explain in a second. It says, likewise, you younger men of lesser rank and experience, be subject to your elders, seek their counsel, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Tie on the servant's apron, for God is opposed to the proud, the disdainful, the presumptuous, and he defeats them, this part here, but he gives grace to the humble. How can he give grace if he already gave it with the sin? This is the second part of grace he's talking about. For those taking notes, it's grace is also his ability and his favor on your life. There's two parts to grace, the sin being covered 
and God's favor on your life. When he says he gives grace to the humble, that's what he's alluding to. And this verse, the reason it scares me is it's saying essentially that you can live a way, Jeremy, you can live a certain way that makes God oppose you. That's crazy. Like it's terrifying. And, and frankly, I've experienced it in my life. In, in this journey to preaching on this road that at the early stages, when I was, even when I was dating Tamara, I was dating her. I remember talking to my brother and my brother was like, hey, do you know you're dating a pastor's kid, a PK? Like, do you know what comes with that? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like, but I don't, I, yeah, I'm in love. I love her, okay? Like I was literally talking to my older brother and he literally, I'm not making that conversation up. He legit said, do you know what you're signing up for? And I remember honestly thinking, even through our dating relationship, in our engagement, I remember being worried, not about our relationship. Our relationship was really good. Um, about, about the, like, what I felt was the impending doom of preaching and teaching and getting on the stage because I, married, I got into this family, this family of pastors and ministry and called to this. And so I remember thinking, going, no, I don't want to do that. Like I have, I, I, with everything in me, I don't want to do that. But I still felt this pull almost towards it being like, why is a mic always being handed to me? And why, like, uh, oh, please give it to someone else. Like, I, I'm not exaggerating with you. I'd never wanted to preach, never wanted to talk, never, never, never. And, and in fact, so much so that I began to make plans to try to avoid that. And so what did I do? I went and focused all my energy in television, which I love. It's the best ministry in the church if you're looking to volunteer. But I love, love, love. So I put all my energy in that because I was like, if I can become, and I'm not even joking here. If I can become the nerd behind the scenes, sorry, nerd, I mean nerd in a cool way. I wouldn't, if I can become the nerd that is so good at tech and TV and lighting and cameras, you would never hand that guy a mic. I'm not joking. But how many of you have ever made plans when you're living in a life of fear away from, that's pulling you from God's plan. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was living in fear instead of faith. I was making plans in fear to avoid God's plan so that I would hopefully not ever get up here. No joke. And so when Leon eventually got to me and said, hey, I want you to start emceeing. I was like, hey, I don't think it's a good idea. Like, and we were legit having these conversations. And he went, what? I was like, well, no. And he was like, no. And he kind of made this joke like, I'm your boss. Like, <laughs> I call our shots. Like, okay. But he afforded me a little grace there. And we had a second talk about two, three weeks later. And he said, hey, I put you on the schedule. I want you to start getting ready. And I said no to him again. And then he made a laughing joke about my actual job. And so I wasn't sure if he was serious or not. So then I decided to start prepping. But even still, I still got so nervous and so scared and so anxious. And I was wrestling with his anxiety of it that it was making me sick. It was making me ruin my joy in my daily life. And, and so when I come across a verse like this, it wasn't until I did what this verse said to do, even though I didn't see this verse. And it was the teaching here that did it. And I want to walk you through my thought process on this. It says, clothe yourselves with humility. Everything I was doing to avoid God's plan was pride. There wasn't one ounce of humility. Now it says, clothe yourselves with humility towards God. No, toward one another, towards my pastor, my leader. Be humble and put your pride on the shelf, Jeremy, and shut up. Like truly, your leader who's trying to lead you is being blocked by your pride even though he's being prompted by God to push you where he's being prompted to push you. There's so many of us in our life who are currently doing this all the time. Your fear is, is consuming you and it's pride. 
where there's pride, it says that God opposes the proud. God, my life, that was the hardest area of my life. That was the hardest years of my life, I'm gonna be honest. And I think this is why. Because I was living what I thought was best and I don't think I can preach. And no, 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 not me. Who do you know who you're talking about? I don't want to. And I was getting sick, ill. I, was going, I literally was in and out of the hospital. It was some of the unhealthiest years of my life while I was opposing this. And it was ultimately the, one of the most ultimate sins, which is pride. And when God resists the proud, it's exactly what that was. And it wasn't until I finally humbled myself to the leadership that God entrusted me to that God's plan began to just pour out on my life, just pour out on my life. And, 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 and then when you realize that this second part is his effortless ability on you, it's this incredible thing. And, and this, this quick illustration I want to give you is I watched, I've watched so many people. Actually, sorry, it's not so many. I've watched few people actually truly walk in this second part of grace, which is God's ability. And this is the way that I could equate it to. Like how many of you drove here today? We didn't all take that train. Did I, how many drove here? Come on, we all drive here? Awesome. You wouldn't say to me, I steered, I steered my car here, right? You drove. But did you drive or did the car drive? You directed the car, but the car did all the work. The car drove, sped up, braked, protected you. It, it, it got you an incredible distance in a very short time. You did high speeds. And then you get out and you look good and you're not sweating and you're ready for church. <laughs> this is grace effortless grace, God's ability and favor on your life. If you step into this second part of grace, after you get the sin and cover and all this and identity, you step into part number two, you step into the vehicle of grace and it's doing all the work. You will walk in favor of places. You're going, how am I here, God? You want me to meet with these people? I'm no good. And he goes, yeah, you're not. It's through me. Yeah, no problem. How am I making this much money, God? Yeah, it's through me. I have plans for it. You're blessed to be a blessing. Yep, no problem. And it's this beautiful favor that you walk in this vehicle of grace every single day of your life and it becomes effortless. You cover tremendous ground with very little effort. All you do is kind of steer the wheel and that's your desires and God's desires working together. Your dreams and his dreams and your passions and his passions and they become synonymous. And you begin to live this life that you step into humility with one another. You learn from one another because... I find it so interesting that the humility points to one another and not God. Isn't that interesting? But the thing that I've realized the older I get is that the most life-changing moments that God's been able to use me through is through somebody. And nobody wants to talk to you or hang with you or correct you or coach you or love on you if you're proud. If you think you're better than everyone else, honestly, then you're, you're a lot lesser than everyone else because you're missing out on love, true love that coaches and corrects. And I'll wrap up on this. One of the most interesting things is that when Jesus has been asked, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind. Amazing, awesome, of course. But of all the things he could have said, the second thing he says is love your neighbor as yourself. Tamara and I were walking last night and we were just walking under the stars. It was dark, beautiful. We live out in the country. And... um, I said to her, I said, I don't think anyone truly gets that. I really, really don't. Because think about this. We judge everybody by their actions. Did you hear what this person said? And we will crucify them. Hopefully we don't. Gossip is a brutal killer and it's not, nothing to joke about. But we do. And, and, and we'll, we'll nail someone for what they did. 
But when it's us, it's like, well, I didn't mean to offend them. And, and I didn't mean to say that. And how come they're not taking, like, we'll judge everyone by the actions and us by our intentions. It's supposed to be the flip, flip the script. Judge your actions and judge their intention and go, hey, I, I know you probably didn't intend for that, but that's how it made me feel. Oh no, I definitely didn't mean that for you. But that is a huge level of grace to love your neighbor as yourself. We will give ourselves the benefit of the doubt day in, day out, so fast, you don't even have to think about it. If I caught you doing something wrong, let's say I just caught you doing anything, something wrong, you will justify it so fast, you don't even have to think or ponder on it one bit. If I said, hey, that's my phone, you're stealing my phone, it'd be like, like you would just quickly come up with all these responses, not that, whatever, not the phone's a bad example, but doing something out of your, that you shouldn't be doing. We think so highly of ourselves that I truly don't think that there's any person that I've ever met that lives this way to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you can get to that place through a Holy Spirit-led life in Galatians 5, you will begin to step with him, walk with him. We used to play this game with my brothers. It's really funny. The group, we'd usually, when we're at Banff for some reason, the girls are shopping, spending the money, and we're just bored walking on the street. And so us brothers would all sit there walking, and um, one of the brothers would just be normal walking, kind of like this. And if he was in front, he was always the victim. So if he's walking in front, I would get my foot as close to his foot as I could, his arms, and I'd try to be perfectly in stride with him. So we'd be this close, and if he sensed it, you would just look like you're busy and be like, oh, look at that over there. And you'd try to do it as long as you could. You'd get as close to you can. And so it's a really fun and hilarious game, especially because all the eyes begin to look on. And so the person in front's like, why is everyone staring at me? It's because there's a person breathing on your neck. And it's just a goofy, silly game. But this is the type of life the Holy Spirit's asking you to do. He's going, get right on my back. And when I turn, you turn. When I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. And it'll, he'll lead you. And he'll lead you just to, in this effortless, beautiful grace of life where it just gets fun. And your life gets better. And you feel more equipped. And people are perplexed at your level of peace. That's why the Bible says a peace that passes understanding. It's not a passing understanding to you. It's a passing to the people that are looking at you. Because they don't get how you have so much peace in this ridiculous storm. It is absolutely wild when someone gets to that place. I'm going to wrap it up there, but there's so much more I want to say. And um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thought. Would each of you bow your heads really quick? Lord, I thank you for every person here. I just thank you, Lord, that, that you're working on us, that you're wrestling with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you are convicting us with this beautiful conviction that allows us to just step into God's best for us, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you soften our hearts for the future, for what you're calling us to do. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you use us, that we're able to step out of pride, step out of fear, and humbly, humbly accept your grace, Lord God, that you are, are willing to bestow on us. And we thank you, Lord, for this in advance. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. You know, I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed. Um, and if, I wanna speak to the people who've never accepted Jesus into your heart. If you've never prayed the prayer of salvation, the Bible says that if you say it with your mouth and believe it with your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he'll begin to live in your heart and that your name gets written in the book of life. And it's just as simple as that. In fact, it's so simple that we tend to um, stumble on its simplicity. And it's just that. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and defeated death for you and rose again, that he's your Lord and Savior and you can make salvation. It's this incredible moment that happens. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to invite you to look up at me and give me a quick wave in a second. But I want you to know we're not going to do anything that embarrasses you. I don't want you to live in fear. I remember in this moment, I remember being in a knot in my stomach and going, why am I nervous? 
that was just because of fear. Fear was leading me. And if fear leads your life, you won't walk in God's best for your life. So don't live a life of fear. Live a life of boldness. God's grace on your life. So if you want to pray that prayer with us, would every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just look up and give me a quick wave and I want to pray with you. Thank you. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Awesome. Look in the middle section here. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Over here on the right. Awesome. One last quick look around. Awesome. For every person who's joining us online, I'd love to pray with you as well. You know, God is an um, omnipresent God, meaning he's everywhere. He's right there with you. And it doesn't matter if this is a delay or a video or you're at a location of ours, God is there with you and we want to pray with you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you all repeat after me? Say, dear God, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Right now I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of everything I've done wrong. All of it. From today and on, I'm following you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Awesome. Let's give those people a big hand. It's so cool.